Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each week I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. With Thanksgiving this week, it would have made sense to have a nice turkey-themed episode this week, but that didn't occur to me until way after I had this topic scheduled, as in I thought of that about last week, and this has been planned for about a month. So we're doing something totally different, and we'll just pretend it's holiday-themed. This week we have a listener request episode, which I was also reminded that the Bombardier episode was an idea from my dad. So if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it in to me at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com, or if you know me, you can send it in unofficially, but... It is a fun way to get, or it is fun to get emails to the podcast. So send your ideas in and it might make it into an episode. So this week, if you're on TikTok and I am not, um, but if you are, you may have seen this video my sister sent me of a very small octopus apparently riding a jellyfish. So we're going to talk about it. First, we're going to talk about octopuses. And yes, the most common and accepted plural in English is octopuses. There are a couple other plurals that you may or may not be familiar with, both of them, but octopi and octopodes. Octopi is the oldest and longest used plural that originated from a kind of Latinized version of the word, even though octopus really originally stems from Greek. Octopodes is the plural that would coincide with the Greek origin, but it's not used very often. So while octopodes is technically historically correct, the most commonly accepted plural for octopus is octopuses. So now that we have addressed the grammar issue, octopuses are in the mollusk phylum, same as clams, snails, and slugs, and they are in class cephalopoda, the fun group of cephalopods. And others that you'll find here are squids, cuttlefish, and nautiloids, like the chambered nautilus. There are about 300 species of octopus, all within order Octopoda, and they are considered to be among the most intelligent and behaviorally diverse of all of the invertebrates. Which brings us to our extra fun fact for the episode. The UK has actually recently declared that cephalopods are sentient beings as part of their animal welfare, animal welfare sentience bill due to strong evidence that they are capable of feeling pain and perceive feelings. Sentience is a difficult idea, thing, concept to prove in non-human animals, so the ability to feel pain and perceive feelings are what they use to declare sentience. Giving them this declaration as a sentient being gives the government the ability to regulate their treatment and ensure more humane treatments, both in laboratory animal studies and in how they are treated in the fishing and food industries. So octopuses live in a variety of habitats, from intertidal areas and coral reefs, all the way down to the deep abyss and pelagic open ocean areas of the ocean. With the variety of habitats come a variety of predators. They can be predated on by fish, including sharks, seabirds, and other cephalopods, uh, seals and sea lions, and even sea otters. Octopuses do have ways to defend themselves. I think most people are familiar with their incredible camouflage abilities and their use of ink, but other options also include the use of venom. 
A thing that I learned is that all octopuses are venomous, but it's actually only the blue-ringed octopus that is deadly to people. The blue rings on the blue-ringed octopus is a good example of a d another defensive mechanism using aposmatism. Aposmatism is the use of bright warning colorations to show a predator that you're not a thing to be messed with, you're venomous, you're poisonous, maybe both sometimes. Either way, um, they're giving themselves a 0 out of 10, do not eat. Some octopuses have a fun surprise defense mechanism, and that includes the use of jellies. The octopuses that use jellies for defense are all in the superfamily Argonitoidae. They're all either pelagic octopuses, meaning that they live in the open ocean instead of on the ocean floor, or they tend to live in deep sea areas, so it makes finding and studying these octopuses quite difficult. But it, apparently, the phenomena with carrying jellies has been reasonably well documented. The seven-armed octopus, Halifron Atlantic Atlanticus, has recently been documented to carry around jellies, as well as paper nautiluses, which are actually octopuses and not really true nautili, and blanket octopuses have also been documented stealing tentacles, so the paper nautilus and the blanket octopus do this too. In the documented case of the seven-armed octopus using the jelly, the researchers were initially under the impression that the octopus was eating it, since the seven-armed octopus does eat jellies, but they noticed that the octopus was actually steering the jelly and kept pointing the tentacles towards the diver taking pictures of it as an attempt to defend itself. So there may actually also be some other cases where the octopus is using the jelly for food, but it's in a similar way as the paper nautilus does, and I was able to find a better description for what's happening here with paper nautiluses, so we'll talk about that in a moment. So as I said, a little awkwardly, paper nautiluses and blanket octopus have been documented to use jellies as well. The paper nautilus are known to actually to cling to objects floating in water, including floating seaweed, driftwood, jellies, and even other paper nautiluses in what this one article I read referred to as a cephala chain of up to 20 to 30 paper nautiluses. The paper nautilus is a pelagic species of octopus, so they can be hard to find and therefore hard to study, so there isn't a whole lot of information out there about them. But scientists think that linking up in chains like that can help them save energy they would normally spend on transporting themselves by sharing the swimming effort between their linked up buddies in their cephala chain. When they attach to jellies, it can be a similar thing, but there are a few things that could be going on. Since they are a pelagic octopus, um, meaning they're out in the open ocean instead of living on the ocean floor like other octopuses, it can be a source of camouflage. They attach to the jelly and sort of blend in for a bit while it rests, and allows it to go for a bit of a ride on the jelly. Essentially, living in open waters, they still have that benthic octopus instinct and urge to attach to something and use it as shelter and camouflage, so it uses the jelly in this way. So the paper nautilus can also use the jelly as a way to get food, but not necessarily by eating it. In a 1992 study, researchers documented a paper nautilus that actually ate channels into the bell of the octopus and the underlying tissue layers in order to access the gastral cavity of the jelly from the top of the bell down. So this gives the nautilus the ability to eat the zooplankton that the jelly has caught as food, and then it can continue using the jelly to catch food for it. 
So there are actually, so as I said, there are observations of the seven-armed octopus doing this as well. So using the jelly to capture prey could be a common behavior among octopuses that hijack jellies. In blanket octopuses, they actually do a slightly different thing than the paper nautilus and the seven-armed octopus. They are actually known to just carry around the tentacles as weapons to brandish at their predators. So it's not a full hijacking of jelly, just some thievery. They are known to take tentacle fragments from the Portuguese Man of War, and in the 1963 study by Jones, where they initially described what was happening, Jones noticed that when he held the octopus, he experienced severe pain and reflexively threw it back into the water. So then to figure out what was going on, he of course decided to pick up and hold about a dozen more blanket octopuses to see if the same thing happened again. Generally speaking, this is not recommended, but with this process, he was able to figure out that the stings resembled those of the Portuguese man-of-war, which then led to him finding that the octopus was carrying fragments of the Portuguese man-of-war tentacles attached to the suckers of each, or attached to the suckers on four of its arms. So yes, these are definitely used as a defensive and potentially offensive weapon, but the octopus could also use these tentacles to capture food, like small zooplankton, like copepods, or small fish, by essentially sifting the prey out of the water by, you know, brushing the tentacles through. So, while there isn't a whole lot known about these octopuses, it is interesting to me that one of the best described part of their lives is their association with jellies and their tendencies to hijack them. With that, we're going to end today with what's apparently a typical PSA of if you've seen an unknown octopus, it is best to not pick it up and therefore potentially save yourself from a dozen man-of-war stings and days of recovery. Thank you for listening to today's episode and be sure to tune in to next week's episode. Please rate and review on iTunes, it helps other people find the podcast. And you can also rate and review and leave some comments on Podbean. You, some other areas that you can find me include Amazon Music and Audible, and we're going to be working a lot on expanding that again soon. I do need to check in with Pandora. There are now a couple of options to help support this podcast. You can share us with someone you know that could use some more animal facts in their life, which we all know is definitely everybody. And you can also become a patron on Patreon. You can find the link to that in the description below for easy finding. You can also find the podcast on Instagram, so give it a follow at Quirky Creepy Freaky Pod. And if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it on in at Quirky Creepy Freaky Pod at gmail.com. Audio editing and recording is done by me, Lovia Strait. Intro music was created by Kaylee Strait. Thank you for listening. <laughs>